Welcome to the Startup Grind podcast. Startup Grind is the world's largest startup community, inspiring, educating, and connecting millions of entrepreneurs across the globe. These are the stories of disruptors, innovators, and game changers from the fastest high growth companies and venture capital firms in existence. Join us as we unpack their strategies, learn from their mistakes, and grow together. There is no time to wait, so let's begin. This episode is brought to you by Oracle for Startups. Hey all, welcome back. This is Startup Grind Global Podcast, and this is Chris Jonu. And you're in for a treat today. Always lots of treats. So many treats. Not a health conscious bunch at Startup Grind. No oh man, that's bad. Dad jokes. Getting old. Uh, and this is a serious matter today. We are talking about how to build trust in the era of fake news. We have Morgan DeBorn, founder and CEO of Blavity. She's been interviewed by Marlon Nichols, managing partner at Cross Culture VC. It's a couple of heavy hitters on stage today. And uh, by way of background, Morgan DeBorn started her career in Silicon Valley. She is a serial startup entrepreneur whose passions include building technology at the intersection of creativity and culture. Love that intersection. And uh, since 2014, she has scaled Blavity to one of the fastest growing digital media startups. Currently operating five brands, Blavity, 2190, Travel Noir, Shadow and Act, and Afrotech. Enjoy the chat. Cheers. So this is a treat for me. I get to interview one of my favorite founders to work with, Morgan. <laughs> um, so I, I don't know how many of you know about Blavity. All of you should. But why don't we start with what is Blavity and why did you start it? Yeah, so um, a little bit about me first. I'm from St. Louis, Missouri. Um, and I, I moved from the St. Louis to the Bay. I lived in Mountain View um, to work at Intuit. And I loved my job. I loved my life um, as a product manager, kind of doing the whole innovation thing, right? Post-its, free snacks, shipping things. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed um, my day-to-day. But when I came home after work, I felt incredibly lonely. Um, I had never really felt loneliness before because I lived in St. Louis my whole life. And Mountain View looks a little bit different um, than, than my hometown. And it felt like this can't be it, right? Like, I can't be so fulfilled at work, but then come home and, and be separated from my community, separated from my friends, and not really know where to go or, or who to hang out with. And um, it turned out, you know, I was, I was talking to some of my friends from college who were feeling the same way. We were like, okay, how can we solve this? Because we clearly, even in college, um, had this, this feeling of community, even though we weren't the majority at our university. We went to a primarily white institution, a PWI. Mm-hmm. And, but we still felt like supported. We felt like we had moments every day where we could see ourselves reflected um, intellectually, spiritually, socially. Um, but then we got into this world where we are you know, the top of our class at, at our jobs, but totally lacking you know, inside. And so mm-hmm. Blavity was started around how do we scale this way of com- building community online and then also offline so that less people have to feel this way? Um, and content and storytelling and connecting creators to larger platforms was the first way to do that. And so that's why we started the company. So Blavity is today a media company. Um, and we also have a variety of experiences online and offline. We have conferences like Afrotech and Summit 21 in Atlanta. We have five brands that cover different lifestyle categories like travel, music, um, politics, sports, etc. And 
it's, it's been a long ride. So let's double click on, on the <laughs> politics one, right? Oh, yeah, Just sure. Given, given the topic of yeah. uh, fake news and building trust, right? Why, why did you, when did you start the, um, the, politics. the politics piece and why? So I'll tell you a little story. So we're five years old, right? So during the first election, uh, we were only two and a half years old. And, and um, I think as a founder and a CEO, you never want to assume that your company can always be the best at everything, right? You want to pick one or two things and really do well at that. And politics seems like a world where um, we weren't necessarily staffed to, to do the right thing in terms of, of actually the justice that needed to be done with storytelling and, and the news um, and reporting. And so we shied away from being aggressive during the first election. And of course, we saw the results of a disengaged community um, and people making a lot of assumptions about what other people were going to take care of mm -hmm. um, on behalf of us, right? Mm -hmm. And this year we decided not to take that route. Um, we're a little bit bigger now, a little bit more aggressive. And so we launched Blabity Politics in the fall, um, or actually over the summer as a test on Instagram. And we were trying to just see, okay, well, how do we, one, get our community engaged to register to vote? Um, what issues do people really care about? We know what people say they care about, but as you know, what people say they care about is different than what they actually show and exhibit from a behavior perspective online mm -hmm. or actually when they show up and, and do things in the polls. Um, so we started to track different data and it became apparent that there was no clear place to find out about um, like black issues in terms of what people were actually voting for mm -hmm. um, and information about different candidates. Um, and now, We've expanded that. We have full-time political editors. Um, we're going to different campaigns, and it's, it's been really interesting to see kind of like there was this huge void in black politics. Where would you have gone mm -hmm. if you wanted to know well, who are all the black candidates running for office across the country um, and what their stances were on different things? Mm -hmm. So representation matters, right? Yeah. You're trying to get Understatement. people voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I guess the, the, so with Trump, and, um, you know, he, he's famous for, for coining the fake news, and yeah. we think there's a, a less trust in um, traditional media, mm -hmm. right? How does, how does Blavity, Blavity Politics um, kind of fill that, fill that void? Yeah, so a couple of ways. One, about 30 to 40% of our content is user-generated. So if you go on Blavity right now, you can submit your own story. It goes through our editorial process, um, and it's vetted, and we do fact-checking. But one of the ways that we've learned to actually remove our own bias in the newsroom is to enable our community to speak for themselves mm -hmm. and for us to really be a platform for others. Um, of course, that means that we have to have a robust way of actually fact-checking, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that winds up not being as difficult when that's, uh, that's a core competency that we can build over time, right? So I think newsrooms are evolving. Um, you know, it's, it's one thing for people to sit in New York or L.A. and make a decision about what we all should be reading, but we are all like news creators on a day-to-day -day basis because there's no barrier between me and a million people now that I have Instagram and Twitter. And you see, you know, celebrities, you see Cardi B, you know, out here calling people out. And it's like, mm -hmm. that, is, that is now news, right? And she is now a reporter. So we try to shift our perspective on um, what is fake news, news, and, and also just storytelling in general because I think it's important to understand what people's perception are and actually talk to our audience and community about what they need to know and what they're interested in. Mm -hmm. A startup takes information gathered by drones and uses it to clean up the waters of San Francisco. Hi, it's Mike Stiles, and this is Meet the Startups for the week of September 9th, brought to you by Oracle for Startups. 
When a major metropolitan area needs to find and pick up trash, they don't just send out people in orange vests with sticks and a sack. The San Francisco Estuary Institute, or SFEI, protects the San Francisco Bay. To spot trash, they send up drones, and those drones take about 35,000 pictures. Every image has to be processed to spot trash, and it was taking nearly a month to get that done. That's when SFEI turned to the team-up of Oracle and the active analytics startup Kinetica. Kinetica ran the entire workload on Oracle Cloud infrastructure using powerful NVIDIA GPUs. Images were ingested and simultaneously run through SFEI's trash detection model in real time. Processing time went from a month to a few hours. We asked Connecticut CMO Daniel Raskin in what ways a real-time analytics platform would be restricted if the computing power just wasn't that strong. At Connecticut, we've been working with our customers to make the promise of real-time analytics possible. Focusing on use cases that are a lot more sophisticated, require location intelligence, graph intelligence, machine learning analytics, a lot of streaming data. The world that they're facing is just a lot more complex. And with Oracle and NVIDIA, they're delivering world-class GPU instances. That's offering that amazing performance and scalability that our customers could never achieve before. Your startup has the right solution, but does it have the cloud computing power to execute? See what an Oracle partnership looks like at oracle.com slash startup. So, so what's next for, um, for, for media and, and news in general? And that's a big, broad yeah, question. Yeah, that's a big question, Marlon. We didn't talk about these <laughs> questions. Um, I knew you could handle it. What's next for media? You know, I think that a lot of media companies, I mean, you guys have seen the news, right? A lot of media companies have, have closed their doors. Um, many raised a ton of money. They raised, you know, 40, 50, 60 million dollars mm -hmm. on crazy valuations. Um, and the result was that they scaled very quickly um, and, and had a bloated overhead, right? Mm -hmm. And I think the other thing is they didn't diversify their revenue. Um, they spent a lot of time I don't know. I don't really know what they were doing. I asked them, like, what did you do with the money? Um, you know, we've raised a little bit less than 10 million over five years, which is very conservative to our peers. Um, and I think that for a lot of media companies, they're going to focus more on community. And you see Forbes, Business Insider, they're starting to do conferences, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, every day, I feel like Forbes Women Conference for this and that, mm -hmm. right? And it's, it's awesome that people want to bring, each, bring people together in person. Um, so I think we'll see that more is that more media companies are going to be focused on niche communities and bringing those people together in person. Then they're going to diversify outside of just publishing, you know, written articles, right? So you're going to see a lot more podcasts. Um, you'll see a lot more um, even playing with audio with like Alexa and other things. Um, newsletters, of course, will continue to be strong because you, you want to make sure that you're not dependent on Facebook, right? That's how a lot of people got crushed. Most of their traffic was driven by Facebook. Um, and it wasn't Facebook organic shares. It was Facebook shares from their Facebook page um, and Facebook ads and the price of Facebook ads is just going up like crazy because of all the direct-to-consumer brands like Casper and all of mm -hmm. our, our favorite new brands, um, which publishers can't keep up with. So I think we will see a number of other um, folks either fold or kind of decrease in size, but it will, you know, news is not going away, mm -hmm. right? Media mm -hmm. is not going away. Uh, so I want to talk about Afrotech and, and the, the, the value of conferences, mm -hmm. but before we go there, how might some of these traditional media companies work with a, um, a Blavity 
uh, yeah. widely politics, et cetera. Yeah, you know, I think large media companies, we're in conversations with a few. Um, let's take a company that maybe, I'm not going to drop any names, even though I've been doing that a lot <laughs> this last 20 <laughs> minutes. But um, Keep I it think, yes, yeah, I think <laughs> that one syndication of content so that they, instead of them trying to build their own newsroom that's targeted on, on the black community or Hispanic community or any really community that's not their core competency, they should partner with people um, and actually just work on syndicating content because I think uh, what happens is that people wind up misreporting the news um, or having a huge bias on actual stories that make a huge impact on the day-to-day -day lives of people in those communities. Mm -hmm. um, so one is, is partnerships for syndication, and two is probably um, thinking about partnerships on the enterprise side. I think, uh, you know, bundling deals with large like media um, publications and then also making sure that we can accurately work with um, or authentically really work with enterprise brands who want to reach the black community so that you know if, if you are a large brand and you're saying, oh, I have 100 million unique visitors and 20% of them are African-American or 15% of them are African-American, well, you might have a larger reach than us potentially, um, but our audience is more engaged, right? And they're going to view that same advertisement on our platform differently than they would amongst, you know, your general mainstream media platform. And they trust you. And they trust us. <laughs> so we're going to have higher click-through rates, too. Right. <laughs> so so let's, let's go to Afrotech, right? Yeah. So um, how many years running now? So this will be our fourth year. Mm -hmm. um, so we've had three conferences, and then the conference is in November. So we're ramping up for a big year. Um, it's here in the Bay, and we moved it to Oakland. So this mm -hmm. will be our first year in Oakland. Yeah, we're super excited about that. Okay. Um, and should be over. So wait, don't, don't just like gloss over. No, that, it's a right? big deal. I'm so excited. It, it was in San Francisco <laughs> for San the Francisco. first few years, right? Yeah. Um, but why, why San Francisco, and now why Oakland? Yeah. So first, why the Bay? You know, mm -hmm. I think it's important that the tech community, um, and particularly the Black tech community, has access to the resources here in San Francisco. Um, you know, of course, there's there's amazing ecosystems that are budding across the entire country, but a lot of that money still somehow wires its way back to the Bay. Whether that's because the the entrepreneurs are now venture folks who got rich here in the Bay, um, where they started here and then moved to back to their hometown and built these amazing companies there. Um, but typically, it's routed back to, back to San, San Francisco. And what was interesting is when I moved from St. Louis here, I felt like, wow, this isn't really a place for me um, in, in, as a tech employee at a big tech company. And then when I became a founder, I was like, damn, this isn't a place for me either. Like, this doesn't work. And I never want anyone else to feel like that again. Um, and so I wanted to create an experience that made sure that they didn't have to, that there was at least once or twice a year an opportunity for everybody that's in tech to have this on their calendar that's black, that wants to connect with each other, they can do that. So right. it's important that we kept it in the Bay Area. Now the challenge with San Francisco is that it's not a reflection of, of our community. And as we got larger and the economics of the conference got larger, where we're, we're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars and putting that back into the, the city and hotels and restaurants and parties, it did not make sense, and it wasn't in alignment with our mission in terms of how we want to grow. Um, and so moving it to Oakland, I think, is something that, one, will make it more accessible um, from a price perspective, will be more accessible to the community to actually make sure that, that people who live here in the Bay can come to this event. Um, and, and also, it's just, yeah, it's just going to be dope. So 
I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then you were you were you were playing with something like you know visiting the middle of the country or, yeah. or other parts of the country that aren't necessarily established tech hubs yet. But talk a little bit about that, Detroit, yeah. et cetera. We did a after we uh, in true startup fashion, we test a lot of things. Um, so last year, one of the ideas was like, okay, well, how do we engage the community around the country because it's not always feasible for a startup or a young tech you know, employee to make their way to San Francisco. It's expensive. So how do we bring the Afrotech experience around the country and, and what does that look like? So we tested um, one in New York that was focused on music and we did that with Spotify and it was based out of the Spotify office and we had this beautiful half a day experience talking about music and tech and culture. And then um, we did a second test which was a citywide um, test and that was in Detroit and we did that with so many amazing partners in Detroit. Um, it was crazy. Like we had sold out tickets, people trying to get in, um, and it's just like, imagine, like, people trying to sneak into a tech conference, you know, like, it's in Detroit, like, that's not what people talk about, right, and I think it, True story. it was beautiful I was to see, that. yeah, it was crazy, yeah. and um, standing room only, right, mm -hmm. um, so it was, it was awesome, and I think for us, it, it was a lot of work to do um, these one-off smaller conferences, uh, so we're thinking about how do we scale chapters, how do we think about enabling people on a local level to be able to use the Afrotech brand to bring people together and then support them at the larger conference and make sure that it's affordable to get there. Mm -hmm. So we, we don't have a solution yet, but it was really fun to see that there is interest and so we're continuing to kind of figure out how that's going to look in the future. Cool. Let's <laughs> Let's switch gears a little bit and um, talk about the, the founder journey, right? Sure. So you mentioned um, you, you haven't raised the, the big amounts of capital that some of these um, media companies raise, but mm -hmm. you, you've done pretty well, and I think you have some pretty good investors. So just talk to us about... <laughs> He's one of my investors, if you guys didn't, didn't know. <laughs> so so talk, talk to us about that, right? What, what's that yeah. journey like, being kind of underfunded initially and then, sure. you know? Yeah, so when I first started, I was like, screw it. We're not going to go raise money. I'm going to bootstrap it. Like, it's going to be fine. You know, I was sitting in my San Francisco apartment. It was just like me in the living room and my roommate. I'd kind of taken over the living room for it to be my office. And we were growing really, really fast. Um, I tried to raise funding and failed the first time I went out. Um, a lot of people said no because they didn't think that um, our market was large enough and they didn't think that if, even if it was a large enough market that they were valuable. Um, that people, that advertisers wanted to spend money on um, reaching a black consumer or that black consumers had enough money to spend where they could justify being a really large venture backable business. So um, the first barrier was okay, how do you disprove that, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. you make a, get a really big audience, and then you, you monetize them, and you say, well, this is what it is. Um, so when I first raised, I went around to investors that um, I made a mistake. Like, I, and I think it's important to talk about mistakes as founders because you see the success, but you don't really talk about how you got there. Mm -hmm. And um, I went after investors that didn't match the profile of our company. They were looking for the Ubers and the Lyfts, and they weren't necessarily looking for a company that would be in the 100 million to 300 or 400 million dollar range, which is still like really, really good, right? Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't what they were solving for necessarily, and so they said no. And I was really defeated. Like, 
I remember going home one day and just crying, you know, and because it's so tied to who I am, it was difficult to, to actually like face that rejection. And then, um, so I went back in my hole and worked harder as, you know, most people of color and women do when they get rejected, they're like, ah, do better, be better. Mm -hmm. So our team was grinding. We uh, made our first deal, you know, we got $500 on Instagram for an Instagram post or something silly like that. And um, then the, the, there were people around me that knew that I was working on Blavity and could see our results. I mean, we were at like a million monthly unique visitors. We weren't small. Mm -hmm. And this was, you know, back in the day. And they were like, Morgan, you have to race. Like, I know that it didn't work out the first time, but here's some people that you should talk to. Um, and so I begrudgingly, um, submitted to this fund, um, New Media Ventures, and they're based here in the Bay Area, and they said yes, they said here's 50K, um, it's two amazing women who run it, and then there were people on their board who said also we'd like to invest as well, and mm -hmm. that was how I got our first 500K, and they were people who were more aligned with our mission um, and the potential outcomes of the company. And from there, um, you know, I did 500 startups, one summer, as well as raised kind of a few different rounds, and then did our big Series A last last spring with Google Ventures and um, Comcast and others. Mm -hmm. Great. And so, biggest lesson learned over the five years? I don't know. So many. Um, you can do three. Okay, cool. Thank you. <laughs> so generous. So, let's see. The first one is probably um, don't doubt yourself. You know, I think. I wasn't comfortable with making mistakes and failure. When I first started, I was very hard on myself. Um, and once I got comfortable with, oh, this is a journey, you know, like once you hit this milestone, it doesn't stop. Like there's more milestones to go. And so you need to be comfortable with the journey of being an entrepreneur and being a founder and transitioning even from being a founder to a CEO, right? We have 65 full-time employees. I have 150 plus contractors. Like now I'm a CEO. I'm not a founder as much anymore. I'll always be a founder, but it's different. So just trust that there's always a, a new milestone ahead. And so you have to be comfortable with the journey. Um, the second is that our team, our company, our mission will only be as successful as I am. From a personal perspective, like I have to make sure that I am okay before I can make sure that the company is okay. Because if I'm a mess or unorganized or um, you know, not doing my best, then how can I expect anyone else to? Right, it's, it trickles down because we're such a small team and we're such a small company um, and we have a huge, huge ambitious mission ahead of us. So that's the second thing is that I have to take care of myself. Mm -hmm. um, and then the third is that, let's see, got to make it a good one. The third one, <laughs> yeah. the last one. Um, yeah, I think don't forget why you started. You know, like always make sure you're, you're focusing on the value you're creating for the user and the community. Mm -hmm. You know, when we have, we have a lot of opportunities that come our way and the key decision-making factor is like, is this going to um, add value to our community? or is it going to be neutral to our community, or is it going to hurt them, right? Whether that's from a trust perspective, whether they're gonna get something out of it. Everything that, that we do, whether that's evaluating an ad campaign that we're taking on, and we look at the creative, and we say, mm, the creative doesn't even have black people in it. Can we really put this on our website? Like, maybe we should just ask them if we can make the creative for them, right? So just every single thing that we do, I try to make sure that it's creating value and it's coming back to our community and our audience. Got it. I got a ton more questions, but I'll save them for tomorrow in the board meeting. <laughs> yeah. um, we're out of time, so please thank Morgan. Thank you for having me. Good questions. Thank you for tuning in.
To keep up to date with all things Startup Grind, visit us at startupgrind.com or join us at any event in a city near you. Until next time, chase the vision and keep hustling.